if you would open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 43. Over the years I have really worked on not looking at the, the clock so that uh, I would not be bound in my own mind by the time, but I peeked at it this morning. It's not even the bottom of the hour, and I'm feeling a lot of freedom this morning. <laughs> Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank You for the Word of God. Uh, in it is more wisdom, um, more mercy, more grace, um, and more glory than uh, we might at first recognize. For in the, the Bible, it tells us that you love us so. In the Bible, it tells us how you came to redeem us for yourself. It told us also about reconciliation and how Christ reconciled us to himself. Uh, to Yourself through His body on the tree. Father, as we uh, consider this subject of reconciliation this morning, we pray that Your Spirit would be our teacher. Give us wisdom to see the riches of Your wisdom uh, as, um, as it is uh, revealed to us in Your Word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Proverbs 19.11 says, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Proverbs 12, 6 uh, says essentially the same thing. It says, a fool shows his annoyance at once, but a prudent man overlooks an insult. This is wise advice. It is to your glory to overlook an insult. Many conflicts begin over things that should have been overlooked and forgiven and forgotten. In other words, many conflicts should never have begun in the first place. Leadership Magazine says that 90% of the friction that happens in one's daily life is caused by the wrong tone, by a wrong tone of voice. Many other conflicts are caused and uh, damage and, and relationships damaged by thoughtless outbursts of anger. But because the outbursts of anger are often thoughtless reactions, uh, they should typically be overlooked. The, the, the rashness of an angry outburst, um, by definition, precludes much thought on the person who's uttering the rash outburst. In fact, truth be told, most of these outbursts, uh, these outbursts of anger, are typically uh, selfward in their motivation rather than motivated by the one to whom the outburst is directed. What I mean is the person who's expressing the anger uh, very often might be themselves stressed or defensive or frustrated or just simply tired. And so they lash out at others. So the anger that they are expressing toward others really is motivated by something in themselves and not really outward uh, or not anger 
at the person to whom it's directed. Uh, These kinds of outbursts of thoughtless anger should be typically overlooked unless, of course, the outbursts are so frequent and severe that they must be addressed. These offenses, however, um, I'm sorry, there are offenses, however, that should not and cannot be overlooked. How do we know when to overlook an offense? Or how do we know when to engage? Ken Sandy, in his book, uh, The Peacemaker, says you cannot overlook an offense if it has caused a wall between you and the other person, or has caused you to feel differently toward them for more than a short period of time. So if it's caused a wall of offense, or if it's caused you to think uh, differently toward that person over a period of time, then it's something that has to be addressed. Even if you desire to overlook it, if there's a wall of hostility between you and the other person, or if your feelings have changed, you've got to address it. Secondly, if the offense is causing serious harm to God's reputation, or is causing harm to your reputation, or is causing even harm to the reputation of the one who is causing the offense, uh, then that, that offense cannot be overlooked. And I bring this up because in chapters 22 through, I'm sorry, chapters 42 through 44, Joseph is involved in conflict resolution. He's been offended in a way that cannot be overlooked. You know how he was offended. His brothers wanted to kill him, threw him into a pit, and finally decided instead of killing him to sell him into slavery. And so uh, this is an offense that stands between Joseph and his brothers. He's been offended and he has put into motion a plan that he hopes will not bring vengeance, not uh, get them back, but rather will bring about a restoration between himself and his brothers. He knows that they need to be confronted But as I mentioned last week, uh, by virtue of the fact that he is the second in command over all of Egypt, uh, he knows that, that his brothers will say just absolutely anything necessary in order to appease him if he simply revealed his identity too quickly. So Joseph's plan has an intricate level of patience and imagination that frankly blows my mind. Uh, You know from last week that he pretended to think that they were spies, and so he threw them into jail for three days. But then he let all of them out, except for one, he left Simeon in jail. Actually, he let Simeon out of jail and then had him bound and, and shackled in front of the others and then thrown back into jail. And he said, Simeon is going to remain in jail and you will receive no more grain from me unless you return to Canaan and bring back your younger brother. Because they had revealed to him, you remember last week, that they had a younger brother. Of course, he knew it anyway uh, because their younger brother was his younger brother. Uh, So he sold them the grain 
sent them on their way back to the land of Canaan that, with the expectation that Simeon would remain in prison until they returned. And then he turned up the pressure by secretly returning the money that they had brought with them to buy grain. He put all that money back into the sacks of grain and uh, did not tell them. So that as they, are, as they were on their way back, they opened their, one of their sacks of grain to feed the camels or donkeys. And in so doing, they found the money and then they were worried. Remember last week that that was the first time that they had mentioned uh, God. Uh, what is God doing to us? I believe Joseph's grand plan is to put his brothers into the pressure cooker of guilt so that they will not only be restored to Joseph, but that through the doorway of repentance, they will also be reconciled to God. I think there's something that Joseph did not intend. Um, However, I don't think that Joseph uh, realized that when he put his brothers in this pressure cooker of guilt, that uh, his father Jacob um, would, would end up being in that same pressure cooker when his brothers returned to Canaan. But Jacob ended up being in this pressure cooker himself. Uh, Jacob, or as he's called here in our, our passage, Israel, um, he loved Rachel, you'll remember, more than he loved Leah, and certainly more than he loved the two concubines. And because he loved Rachel uh, more than Leah, all the children, the two children that were born to Rachel, he loved more than anyone else. He loved Joseph. Remember, he bought him, or he made him the coat of many colors. He loved Benjamin, his youngest born son, the son that was born to him as Rachel was dying. He loved them more than all his other children. And he had lost Joseph. He, he now thought Joseph to be dead. And now he can't believe it. This ruler in Egypt has found out about his youngest son, Benjamin. And he's demanding that Benjamin come down uh, to Egypt or else Simeon will rot in prison. Jacob is beside himself. He can feel the heat of the pressure cooker. So he makes an unthinkable decision. He simply decided, Simeon can rot in prison. I'm not sending my youngest son, whom I love, back down to Egypt. I am not going to risk anything happening to Benjamin. He's not going to let Benjamin out of his sight. And so here's Simeon down in Egypt, rotting in some Egyptian prison. But then finally, when the grain begins to run out, the issue is brought to a head. So look with me at Genesis 43. I'll read verses 1 through 14. However, I'm going to skip over verses 8 and 9 for the moment. Now the famine was severe in the land, and when they had, when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go again, buy us a little food. But Judah said to him, 
the man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will send uh, if you will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Israel or Jacob said, Why did you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? They replied, The man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred, saying, Is your brother still alive? Do you have another brother? What we told him was an answer to these questions. Could we in any way know that he would say, Bring your brother down? Then going on to verse 11. Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags and carry a present down to the man, and a little balm, and a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Take double the money with you. Carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take also your brother and arise and go again to the man. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man, and may he send you back your other brother and your other brother and Benjamin. As for me, I am bereaved of my children or if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. The reason Jacob is in the in the pressure cooker is because he had so elevated Joseph and Benjamin in his heart that they were his source of joy and happiness. In other words, these sons of Rachel were idols in Jacob's life. And God was teaching Jacob to focus his love not on the son he lost, Joseph, and his other son, Benjamin, but rather to focus his love and his trust upon God. You will not have the joy of the Lord unless the Lord is your joy. It must have been horrifying for Jacob to finally give his sons permission to take Benjamin down to Egypt. But God so loved Jacob that he orchestrated these circumstances that forced Jacob's hand. Let me ask you, what are the idols to which you cling so tightly that you cannot imagine uh, your life having meaning or value or happiness uh, without these things? Where Where do you find yourself saying to God, Give me this or my life will not be worth living? Do any of you have areas of your life where you make demands of God because you want this. You want God to give you this. And it is not God's will that you have it. It is not wrong for Jacob to love Joseph and Benjamin. Rather, it was his exact his exec- excessive desire that was the problem. Jacob so loved Joseph. Jacob so loved Benjamin that it caused divisions within his family. 
that it caused him to place his joy and his happiness upon uh, his son's well-being. Remember what he what he said when when he thought that that Joseph had died. My gray head is going to go down to the grave in sorrow. He would not be consoled. And now he has no other choice but to send Benjamin down with his brothers. And what does he say in verse 14? If I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. He's just consigned over to to pointlessness in his life, so it seems. God will not share um, you with your idols. But Joseph was clinging to his two sons with a death grip. Again, are you sharing your heart with anything other than God? Does something else grasp for your affections and push God to the side? Or are you allowing something of co- to have co-equal place rather than God? Or are you trusting in something even if it is less than your love for God, but you're trusting in it rather than in God. God will not share you with your idols. The book of James says that God's Spirit envies intensely. This is what Jesus is saying in Luke 14. When Jesus said, If anyone comes to Me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be My disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after Me cannot be My disciple. Jesus is saying He will not compete. And God is not being petty or mean. In fact, God's going to return Benjamin to Jacob. He's not only going to return Benjamin to Jacob, He's going to return uh, Simeon and Joseph back to Jacob. Losing your idol may seem impossible. God has a good purpose for you beyond your your wildest imaginations. The question is, will you trust Him enough to lay aside your idols? That's a difficult proposition. Good news is, God's Spirit can work in you. His Spirit, who envies intensely, is able to empower you to give up whatever idols, however deep they have their grip on you. So the pressure cooker was on Jacob. I don't know if if um, Daniel had intended that. I mean, sorry, not Daniel, but Joseph had intended that or not. The pressure cooker is also on Judah. Joseph's down in Egypt. He doesn't know what's happening up in Canaan. But still, up in Canaan, the pressure cooker is boiling 
upon Judah. It's having this intended effect. Remember Genesis 38? Remember when I preached that? I preached the entire half hour with my face blushing because of the things that, uh, that, Ju- uh, that Judah was doing in Genesis 38 and me trying to explain that in a PG-13 kind of way. Um, here's what I said about Judah uh, back in that sermon. I said Judah was a man of unrestrained desires. What Judah wanted, he took. What Judah wanted to do, he did. But now listen to Judah. Verses 8 and 9 in Genesis 43. And Judah said to Israel his father, Send the boy with me, talking about Benjamin, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. And if we had not delayed, we would now have returned twice. Judah here in verses 8 and 9 is giving no thought to himself. He's only concerned to serve others, to serve his father, to serve Benjamin. He doesn't care about the cost, the potential cost to him. Let me bear the cost, me and my children, if I don't bring Benjamin back to you, he says. It also bears pointing out that Judah was the one who came up with the idea of selling Joseph into slavery. This is a complete turnaround for Joseph. I'm sorry, not Joseph, for Judah. Um, Jacob, Judah, Joseph, Daniel, whoever. (laughs) Judah. Um, In other words, this is repentance in Judah's life. This is an act of repentance that began bearing fruit in Judah's life. And not only in his life, began bearing fruit in the generations after Judah. So that his tribe, his generations, became the leading tribe in Israel. They were the only ones who was left after the the northern ten tribes had been uh, exiled into Assyria and and um, and uh, I can't remember the other uh, the, the, the 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 other tribe that was subsumed into to Judah. Anyway, God used the pressure of circumstances to bring Judah to the breaking point. Can you see that? Sadly, many of us also wait for God to bring us to the breaking point before we will entrust ourselves to Him wholeheartedly or turn from our sins or let go of our idols. Let me give you some wise advice. Don't wait for God to make the discipline so severe. Flee to Him now. Submit yourself to His rule now. And experience His joy and peace that surpasses understanding. Don't resist God. Spare yourself the consequences of your rebellion. Don't wait for Him to break you almost in half before you turn to Him. So Joseph set all these these, uh, circumstances in motion 
And then finally, his brothers uh, returned to Egypt with Benjamin. And Joseph again begins turning up, turning the dial on the pressure cooker. But you know how he did it? He did it with kindness. He did it with niceness. This is quite imaginative, what Joseph did. Look at verses 15 through 25. So the men took this present, and they took double the money with them, and they also took Benjamin. They arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, Bring the men into the house and slaughter an animal and make ready, for the men are to dine with me at noon. The man did as Joseph told him and brought the men to Joseph's house. And the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house. And they said, It is because of the money which was replaced in our sacks the first time that we are brought in so that he may assault us and fall upon us and make us his servants and seize our donkeys. The follower, the, the 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 generations that uh, came after um, these these brothers become, became, in many instances, still are world leaders, very brilliant people. But this has nothing to do with 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 Joseph wanting to steal their donkeys. Can you see the pressure cooker is just so intense upon them? And they're trying to figure out why why are we being brought to his house? Oh, he's gonna throw us throw us in jail, make us slaves, and he's gonna steal our donkeys. Um, I find that comical. And so the brothers begin con- uh, consulting together and they decide the best way to attack this is for to bring a preemptive strike. And that's exactly what they did. Verses 19 through 22. And so... Um, So they went up to the steward of Joseph's house and spoke with him at the door of the house and said, Oh, my Lord, we came down the first time to buy food. And when we came to the lodging place, we opened our sacks and there was each man's money in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight. So we have brought it again with us. And we have brought other money down with us uh, to buy food. We do not know who put the money in our sacks. And so... Here they they meet the steward at the door of Joseph's house. And Joseph has instructed the steward to greet them. And to greet them in their native Hebrew uh, tongue. And so he says to them, Shalom Lechem. In other words, peace be to you. Can you imagine? They're down in Egypt and this steward addresses them in their native tongue with the, 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 the most um, endearing way to, in, to greet one another. Shalom, Lechem. Peace be to you. And this just further confuses them. Not only does he greet them, but he says, God returned your money. And the money was paid. And then he let Simeon out of jail and returned Simeon to them. And he said, you're going to eat with Joseph today at noon. 
Listen to verses 23 and following. So this is the steward uh, speaking. He replied, Peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. And when the man had brought the men into Joseph's house and had given them water, and they had washed their feet, and when he had given their donkeys fodder, they prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon. For they heard that they should uh, eat bread there. So then Joseph arrives at noon. He begins questioning them again. He questions them closely. Look at verses 26 through 29. When Joseph came home, they brought... They brought into the house to him the present that they had with them and bowed down to him to the ground. And he inquired about their welfare and said, Is your father well? The old man of whom you spoke, is he still alive? They said, Your servant, our father is well. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. And he lifted up his eyes and he saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. And then this must have been confusing confusing because Joseph suddenly rushed out of the room without any explanation. The Scripture tells us why Joseph ran from the room, verses 30 through 32. Then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out, and controlling himself, he said, Serve the food. They served him by himself and them by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with him with him by themselves because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. And then to heighten the intrigue, Joseph had them seated around the table from the youngest to the oldest or the oldest to the youngest, but he seated them specifically in their order of age. And then he gave Benjamin five times as much food as he gave to anyone else. Uh, verses 33 and 34. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in amazement. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. And they drank and were merry with him. There are other surprises that Joseph has yet to unleash before he reveals his identity to his brothers. And you're going to have to come back next week to, to find out the rest of the story or read your Bibles. Either way, that's a plus. But here's what I want to leave with you. Joseph is using his imagination to bring about restoration with his brothers. He measured his response and he kept the real goal in mind, which was reconciliation with God. I think of the times that I have not been very imaginative in my response to my children or my wife or with others uh, when there is a point of contention or a, an instance of discipline. And I want to win the argument. So I've used manipulation. I've used attempts at superior argumentation. That's never worked with my wife. Um, I've used yelling. I've used anger. And I think of the times that I've bypassed the power of a gentle response. I look at this passage 
and it's funny, none of the commentators mention this, but this is all I see, is the wisdom that Joseph is using to bring about reconciliation. The imagination, the forethought, the discipline, and the patience to keep the goal in mind. And this is over what is presumably a several month process from the time that they first came down to Egypt, went back to Canaan. The grain ran out and then they came back after delaying. And I think of the ways in which I've not used similar wisdom. I think of the ways that I've used human wisdom to try and go about getting my way or getting people to do what I want them to do. And I look here at this passage and I'm rebuked. It's so easy to take a worldly, humanistic uh, view of of trying to bring about reconciliation or trying to get others to do what you want them to do. And it's sin. And there's a better way. God's way. I also think of the times that I've relieved the pressure too quickly because it was too much trouble to keep up the pressure. It was very emotionally costly for Joseph to apply the pressure to his family and then turn up the heat. Both last week and this week, we saw where he had to leave and go and weep. He did not enjoy this. But Joseph is a peacemaker. And he has much to teach us about making a peace that is real peace. More than that, Joseph points us to the one who is the true peacemaker, Jesus Christ. I urged you earlier in the sermon to flee to God and not wait for His discipline to grow severe. The way is open for you to do that. But it is only open because Jesus Christ came to earth and became sin for sinners. He absorbed God's wrath in His body on the tree, in His body on the cross, so that we might have access to God through Him. Flee to Him. Hang on to Him. And it is only through hanging on to Him that you'll be able to be a true peacemaker. I'm going to conclude with Ephesians 2, verses 12 through 16. The Apostle Paul writes, Remember that at remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made both us made us both one talking about Jews and Gentiles, making them one body, and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Christ is our peace. Christ is the true peacemaker. 
And you can be a peacemaker through Him. Let's pray. Almighty God, I pray that You would help us to repent of our idols. God, I pray that You would help us to flee to You quickly rather than waiting for You to discipline us severely. God, I pray that You would help us to be peacemakers in our homes, in our workplaces, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our world. Because Christ has made peace with us through His body on the cross, through His blood that was shed for us. And God, I ask that we, through Him, might use Your wisdom in order to bring about um, peace uh, with each other. We ask in Christ's name.